Proverbs chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up reading in verse 20. And uh, I'll come back and talk about these verses just really briefly um, after we read them through one time. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart. Here's a good verse for you to memorize. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. So how many of you ever been in a ditch before? I've been there all kind of ways, all right? I've been there accidentally because I took my eyes off the road running a ditch. I've been there because something broke on the vehicle and steered me off into the ditch. Um, I've been there on purpose a few times because I just wanted to play in the ditch, all right? But I think all of us that have ever had any experience um, driving anything for any length of time found ourselves in a ditch. Um, and most times it's just not a good place to be. I've mentioned this several times over the last couple years. I've been thinking about this and, and pondering on this um, message, keeping it between the ditches. Keeping it between the ditches. And we say that to each other sometimes when we part ways down here in the south. When somebody gets on the road, keep it between the ditches. That's, that's just our way of saying be safe on your way home. Stay out of the ditches on your way home. Um, Keeping it out of the ditches. There's a series of messages that I want to do with this thought in mind um, that it's easy for us to get off into the ditches of our theology and those errors in our theology or getting in those ditches in our theology um, will, will lead us down some paths we don't need to go on, um, cause some conflicts in our own life and perhaps conflicts in the lives of others. Solomon chapter 4. Solomon's words are God's words. Solomon's words are God's words. Solomon asks God for wisdom. Now, I'm, I, I, this is a, a, a disclaimer. Solomon had more wisdom than he actually applied. It's clear if you look at his life, he did not even walk by the standards that he proclaimed. Nevertheless, what Solomon said was what God gave him. God gave him wisdom. So Solomon's words are God's words. And just let me walk you through these verses real quick. I'm not going to read them all again. I just want to kind of give you a summary of what every verse I think says, especially to me. Verse 20, Solomon says, Hear my words. Lean into my words so that you can hear them well. I think that's what God would say to us. Hear what my word says. Lean into it so that you can hear what I say very clearly. Verse 21, Let them always be in your mind. Let them always be in your heart. In fact, if you go to Joshua chapter 1, Joshua told us the secret to success was having God's word in our mind and God's word in our mouth and God's word being manifested in our lives. And he said, if you do that, then you'll have good success. Proverbs, uh, Psalm chapter 1 says essentially the same thing, um, that, that, that when we ground ourselves in the word of God, we're like a tree that's planted 
by the river of water. Uh, verse 22 says they'll keep you, I believe, uh, spiritually alive and spiritually um, healthy. Um, verse 23, be careful about the direction that your heart steers you. <laughs> um, now I would say this, the, that children of God sometimes are hearing the voice of God and, and we can be obedient to that voice, but we got to be careful about listening to our own heart because our own heart sometimes can be deceitful and desperately wicked. So be careful the direction that your heart steers you. And I would qualify that by saying if your heart ever steers you in contradiction to God's word, your heart is wrong. God's word is right. Doesn't matter how it feels to you, if God's word says go this way and your heart says go this way uh, and you follow your heart, you have drifted off into error. Verse 24, don't listen to words that contradict mine. Put away from you words that are deceitful. Put away from you words that will pull you away from my word. Verse 25, uh, keep your eyes. This is what it says to me. Let your eyes look right on. What Solomon is offering here, what God is offering through Solomon, is that we apply our hearts to wisdom, that we learn wisdom, that we, that we seek wisdom, and that we make application of wisdom. So I think verse 25 says to me, keep your eyes on that destiny. Keep your eyes on that goal of obtaining the wisdom that only God can give. Verse 26, stay on a straight path. For your safety, for your security, stay on a straight path. Ponder the path of your feet and let your way be established. And then verse 27 don't run your life into the ditch. Don't run your life into the ditch. Don't go right. Don't go left. Remove your foot from traveling on an evil path. So keeping it between the ditches. It, it, this is simple. I'm not a very profound person anyway, but keeping it between the ditches means simply this. Knowing, believing, and applying what God's word says. Keeping it between the ditches, keeping it on that verse 27, on that straight path, turning not to the left or right is knowing, believing, and applying what the Word of God says. Now, the problem with that is that God's Word isn't always easy to understand. You can say amen. Because I'm going to tell you, I read some parts of it sometimes and I'm befuddled. I'm, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand um, what God is trying to say to us, there are parts of God's word that are just very difficult to understand. And that makes believing and applying it difficult for us, to say the least. Um, we, like, we, we like to understand something before we believe it, and we certainly like to understand it before we try to apply it to our life. And so the, the problem with keeping it between the ditches, knowing, believing, and, and applying God's word is that sometimes it's difficult to understand, which makes it harder to believe and apply. And, and, and I'm, listen, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm not trying to disconnect you this quickly, but sometimes when we read God's Word, there are some things that stand out to us and that look like apparent contradictions. Now let me say this, I don't believe God's Word is ever in contradiction to itself. But when we look at it sometimes, it almost seems like it pulls us this way, one time and then it pulls us another way at another time. It looks like there are conflicts and contradictions within what it's teaching. Um, I'm a, th this is kind of where the message is going to go in the next few weeks, but I'll just give you a few examples of that. 
And that's when you talk about God's holiness. That God is without sin. The Bible says that he's so holy, he's a fair countenance to even look upon sin. God is a holy, holy, holy God. The Bible says God is holy. And at the same time, the Bible says that God is love. And that looks like a contradiction in terms. Can God be, I believe he's both. I believe he's holy and God is loving. But when you, when you, when you talk too much about the holiness of God to the neglect of the love of God, you run off into a ditch of legalism. And if you talk too much about the love of God and ignore the holiness of God, you run off in a ditch of liberalism. And both of them are ditches. And both of them are places that we need to, to, to steer clear of. And so God is holy and God is loving, but us reconciling those things sometimes is very difficult. And, and listen, I'm, I'm, you know, I know who I am and I know what I believe, but the Bible talks about election. That Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapter 9 are strong chapters about God choosing people to be saved. And then at the same time, the Bible seems to present to us the opportunity to choose whether or not we're saved. So, so are we elected by God to be saved or do we have a choice in the matter of whether we're saved? Now that, that listen... Uh, I know where I stand and I know what I believe, but sometimes when I read passages like Ephesians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 9, I feel like I'm trying to explain something away that the Scripture is presenting to us. I feel much more comfortable on that do we have a choice side. And sometimes I get in the ditch over there. Are we free in Christ? You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Or, or as are we, as Paul said, slaves to Christ, servants to Christ. So, so these are just some, listen, there's a long list, and I, I, that's, this is what we're going to dig into over the next few weeks. In fact, we're probably going to tackle that, um, the characteristics of God and His holiness and in His love next week. And some of these others will come up along the way in various ways. But there are a lot of these in the Word where you get two different pictures kind of being painted at the same time, that appear to be in contradiction with each other. Now, I really don't believe there's a contradiction. I just believe that there is a God-designed tension in between these doctrines, that God put these tensions in Scripture to keep us literally in the middle of the road. Um, they're working together. They're not working in opposition. I don't believe because God is holy that's working in opposition to his love. And I don't believe because God is love that that's working in opposition to his holiness. And I don't believe just because the Bible says that God has an elect people that that works in contradiction to the choice that people get to make. So we, we, we work in between these tensions that God's word presents us with. And they're all working together for our good and they're all working together for his glory. And, and I, personally, I don't believe it's possible for us to resolve all these tensions. Now, we can, I don't think it's bad for us to talk about them, and I don't think it's bad for us to try to work through some of the tensions and maybe bring some reconciliation and some resolution to them. Um, but the reality is, is I, I don't think that we will ever fully come. I don't think our minds are capable of comprehending the mind of God in all of its fullness. 
I, I don't think it's possible for our finite minds to figure him out. In fact, I'll give you some of those, those, those attributes of God that you won't ever wrap your mind around. That he has all power to do anything he wants to do anytime that he wants to do it. That he has all wisdom, past, present, and future. He sees as one. He knows what we're thinking, saying, doing before we think it, say it, or do it. He is ever present. You cannot escape his presence no matter where you go. And he is eternal. He didn't have a beginning or an end. And he is triune. I can't wrap my mind around any one of those concepts because I don't know anybody else on this planet that claims to have those attributes. But God does. My finite mind can't wrap itself around that. I don't know any. Xander asked me the question a few weeks ago. So, if God's always been here, if God's always been, if he didn't have a beginning and he don't have an end, what was he doing before he created us? I don't know. And I told Xander that answer, and he's like, well, you need to read the book, Borton, because it's probably in there. <laughs> I mean, I, I disappointed him, because that's where his... Now, y'all's mind ain't never run to things like that. So you can get bogged down in it. Why? Because our mind will never be able to figure out the majesty of our God. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm thankful for that. If I had a God that I could fully comprehend and understand, he wouldn't be a very big God because I ain't got a very big mind. Let me give you some verses. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse number 29 says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. God hadn't shown us everything. He hadn't re now, he has revealed to us some things, and he's given them, he's given them to us in his word. There are some things that have been revealed to us, but there are things that God has not revealed to us. And those secret things belong to Him. They don't belong to us. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my, are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Romans chapter 11, verses 30. By the way, if you look at Romans, chapter 9 is that chapter that I have a hard time with. Zach asked me when he was a teenager. He was doing his devotions one time. And he said, Daddy, you're going to have to help me out with Romans chapter 9. I said, I can't. And he said, why? And I said, because I don't understand it myself. I can put you on the phone with Brother Bill Mullis and he can help you understand it. Because Romans chapter 9 appears to teach the predestination and election thing very clearly. And then you get to Romans chapter 10 and you got men hearing and responding and believing and calling upon the name of the Lord, which brings man's... And I'm very comfortable with Romans chapter 10. I get real uncomfortable in Romans chapter 9. There's that divine tension that exists between Scripture. And then you get to the end of chapter 11 where he talks about that God broke Israel off and it was good that he broke Israel off because when he broke Israel off, he grafted us in and that we ought not to be high-minded about that because if God didn't spare the natural branches, he won't spare us unless we continue to believe. And, and then at the end of the book, I think the Apostle Paul 
find, found himself at the end of chapter 11, he found himself where I find myself when I'm trying to reconcile some of these things. He said, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed to him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. I think that's the Apostle Paul's way of saying. I'm not even sure I understand what I just wrote to you. Because the ways of God are unsearchable and beyond our finding out. That don't mean we can't believe them. And that don't mean we can't apply them. It just means sometimes we may not understand how to reconcile these things, how to resolve these apparent conflicts. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, the Apostle Paul said, For now we see through a glass darkly. But then, and I think that then that he's talking about, he said when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. And I know there's a lot of guys say when that which is perfect has come is the completed word of God. And I, I just believe when that which is perfect has come is talking about when Jesus returns. Because he said, right now we're looking at this thing. We can see some. We can understand some. We can comprehend some. But we're looking through a glass that's not always very clear to us. But when he comes, we're going we're gonna to know because we're going to see him face to face. We know in part. But then we're going to know even as we're also known. So I don't even think the writers of God's word sometimes fully un understood and comprehended what God was having them to say and what God was having them to do. I think this is very easily proven in those Old Testament prophets. They, they prophesied what God... Um, Isaiah chapter 61, I believe, is a good chapter to look at in that regard because in the matter of two or three verses, um, God, God gave to us the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, and the millennial reign of Christ. And all of the prophets looked at those things as if they should all happen at one time. And, and, and Jesus quoted the first part of that prophecy in his first reading in the temple, and he stopped right in the middle of it because that's where they were living at. This is the day of salvation. This day the scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. The second part of that comes when he comes again. That's when he's going to be crowned king. And the third part of that comes in his millennial kingdom. So even the guys writing, even the guys that were being inspired by God to pen the book did not always fully comprehend what God was saying to them and what God was requiring them to do. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, Paul said this, or Peter said this about the Apostle Paul. In all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. The Apostle Peter said some of what Paul's writing is hard to be understood. Peter was part of the inner circle of Christ. He went with him to places nobody else went. He was the first preacher on the day of Pentecost that stood up and began to proclaim who Christ was and tied him back to the Old Testament scriptures. And then the apostle Paul was born out of season and, and had a direct revelation from Christ. He, taken up to heaven, he said he didn't know whether that was physical or just a vision, but he saw things that he was not permitted to speak to us. And here's what Peter said. Paul's wrote some things that are hard 
to wrap our minds around that are hard to be understood. And some people have taken those things that Paul has written, they're unlearned and they're unstable, and they twist them like they do other scriptures to their own destruction. And they still are. Sometimes I feel like we try too hard to explain things that we don't fully understand ourselves. I remember one time trying to preach on the Trinity. I believe in the Trinity. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But if you're going to ask me to explain that to you in a way that you can understand it, I'm going to fall short every time. There's ter- there are several heresies that take place when you're trying to describe the Trinity. And what I find myself doing when I try is I start steering off in a ditch. And then I say, oh, no, that's modalism. I can't go there. And then I go over this side and I, I fall into another heresy. I, listen, I can't. I don't think I'll ever try to preach on the doctrine of the Trinity again. I'm just going to tell you, I believe the Bible teaches that God is one and three. That he is three in one, that he is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I can't reconcile all that. When Jesus is praying to the Father, is he praying to himself? No, he's praying to the Father because the Father ain't the Son, the Son ain't the Father. Well, then there's more than one God. No, there's one God. You understand that? I don't understand that. I believe that. That's our mind trying to comprehend an incomprehensible God. Listen, he created this computer we got between our ears. And I would venture to say that the guy, that, the man, the, the, the God that created this between our ears is smarter than what's between our ears. I appreciate your honesty. I think what happens when we, when we, when we try to, to resolve all of these apparent contradictions, which are really just God-designed tensions, that we can sometimes just run off in the ditch. And I can see this in my own life, and I can see it in my ministry. Um, I think real early in my ministry, I was, I, was so, I was so engrossed in the holiness of God that I jumped off in the ditch of legalism. And then I had some revelations of the love of God and reading through some of the epistles and reading through the gospel of John and understanding the love that God... Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. You start wrapping your mind around the love of God and all of a a sudden you start forgetting about the holiness of God and you run off in that ditch of liberalism. And the goal is to stay out of both of those ditches. The goal is to walk in the liberty that Christ has set us free, but not to serve the flesh using that liberty. There are a lot of Bible doctrines that are given in paradoxical pairs. They look different. And um, and I'm not this smart. I'm, I'm not smart enough to figure all this out, but I've looked up some words this week along this line. And, and philosophy works off of a, off of a, a paradigm of a thesis and antithesis and then a synthesis. That you take a thought that you prove, that you take an antithesis that you 
almost disprove that thought, but then you combine the two thoughts and you synthesize those thoughts and you come out of that with a philosophy. There's actually a philosophy I've been reading up on, and, and it, these guys are so much more intelligent than I am, but I think they, some of them think they've figured God out, which makes them dumber than I am. But it's, it's a philosophy called Molinism. And, and, and what they believe that they've done is reconciled the sovereignty of God with the free will of man. Um, I think it's interesting to read, but they have, they have thesis and then antithesis, and then they say that here is those two thoughts reconciled, and this is the synthesis of God's sovereignty and man's free will. I'm not going to get that deep in this stuff, I promise you. But this is what I know, is that God is holy and that he hates sin. And this I also know, that God is love and that he loves the sinner. And what that brings me to, the synthesis of that is that God has provided a means of saving the sinner. That's the thesis, the antithesis, and the synthesis of that. The holiness of God and the love of God equals the salvation of sinful men. Now we're going to dig into some other things um, like God's sovereignty and man's free will, like God's election and man's response to God's election. The security of the believer versus the necessity of perseverance in the faith. Both of those are Bible doctrines. Security and perseverance, they walk together. Faith works, walks hand in hand with works all through the scripture. They're not contradicting each other. They're complementing one another. They're providing to us a way to stay on a straight and narrow path that leads us into a holy and loving God's arms. We don't, we don't need to resolve all those tensions. And that's where we're going to go with this series. We don't have to resolve all those tensions. We don't have to reconcile them all. We can live in safety, security, and walk a straight path between these tensions. We don't have to get in the ditch on either side. We can walk down the middle of the road, not turn to the left, not turn to the right. Um, I'm going to use one of Brother Mitch's terms. Y'all with me? Well, let me give you a car picture. I've been thinking about this thing for two years, so you don't have to let me unpack it, all right? There's a lot of physics in your car. There's a lot to keeping our car on the road, making it stable, making it secure, helping us drive a straight line from here to there. And part of that is the way that the tires sit on the car. Now, most of you, some of you guys that have some mechanical skill, there's a, there's a camber, there's a caster, and there's a toe-in. Now, you look at your vehicle out there, you're going to say, my tires are straight ahead. No, they're not. They're not really. There's a tension that's been built into your car. A caster is when the wheel set forward or the wheel set back. It's different on front-wheel drive cars than it is rear-wheel drive cars. Um, the camber is the tires leaning in or leaning out. The toe-in is when the tires are pulled in a little bit. 
All of those things are designed by engineers to keep your car safe, stable, and going on a straight line when you want it to go on a straight line. They are all there to keep your car on the road. Now, it, this would make sense. Just stand the tires straight up. Don't tow them in. Just as straight as you can get them, front and back, side to side, top to bottom, as straight as you can get them, you're not going to stay on the road that way. Physics. The engineers have designed those cars with some criteria in mind. Some of it is the weight of the vehicle. When you, when you stand tires straight up and you put the weight of the vehicle on, on top of them, the tires is going to do this. And so some of that is designed to counterbalance the weight of the vehicle. Um, it's different for the torque. When you, when you mash the gas, y'all if you don't understand what torque is, it tries to pull the wheels backwards. Sometimes you may have a little bit of a positive caster to, to overcome the torque factor on a vehicle. All those things are in mind by the engineers. Um, the tow end, there's a little bit of tension that exists. When your tires hit the highway, now you, you make a set of straight and keep them straight and the tires wouldn't wear out. The problem is you ain't got no traction. You'd be slipping and sliding all over the road. And anytime the road's got a little bit of an irregularity in it, it'll dive you off one way or the other. If you want to know what it feels like, ride a motorcycle <laughs> with one wheel hitting that. There ain't no tension there. That's the reason you see when they, when they groove the road, you see the little motorcycle sign up there? When you get on a groove road with a motorcycle, it makes you feel like you're driving on jello. I mean, it's like this. Because there ain't no camber, there ain't no caster, there ain't no toe-in. You got one wheel behind another wheel following each other, and it'll drive you insane going across bridges with the little grooves in them. So an automobile is designed with some tension in the way that it drives. They take into consideration the weight. They take into consideration the torque. They take into consideration even the application. These off-road trucks, race cars, where's marking them at? I've seen them. They come in, boy, they go to torquing on the bars. They'll turn that one wheel out a little bit and the other wheel in a little bit. And I've seen uh, Ryan and, and, and Hunter come in and say, why did you run off the back curb? I couldn't steer the car. They got it wrong. They got it, out of a, they got it out of line and just drove it right off the track. So the engineers take all this into consideration. They, do the, they turn the camber, the caster, the toe-in to make that car drive safe and straight. And a car that gets out of alignment. A, a, a car that gets out, all of the alignments will be different. They'll look, when you take your car for alignment, they're going to look at a book. What's your make? What's your model? So that we can set all of these things like they say from the factory, like it was engineered. If your car gets out of, of alignment, there's going to be unnecessary wear and tear on your tires. It's going to become difficult to drive. I had a Dodge Dart one time I drove back and forth to work. They named that car appropriately. They had the worst front ends on them in any car I believe I've ever drawn. And if you run in a little spot in the road that was a little bit uneven, it'd do like that. I did that one night in front of a deputy coming my way. Scared him. He turned around and pulled me over. Asked me if I'd been drinking. I'm like, this is car. <laughs> I didn't tell it to go towards you. It just whoop. I had to convince him I wasn't drunk. 
It darted. That's what I said. That's why they named it the dart. When it gets out of alignment, it, listen, I had a Chevy Nova one time that had a six-cylinder in it, and I put a V8 in it, and it was, <laughs> it was not aligned like it was supposed to be because it had twice as heavy an engine in it, and I wore the tires off the front of it before I ever got it aligned. It can be, it can be dangerous. And, and, and the truth is that most of the time we don't even try to resolve the Bible's tensions. We just drive it off in the ditch. We're not really trying to resolve it. We just jump in the ditch with whatever our favorite is. And listen, you all know this is true. You know, you know preachers. You know that this preacher has, in the time, has at times rode down that legalism ditch and at other times get over, over on the other side and ride in that liberalism. I ain't never got too far over that way. <laughs> but it's easy to get out of line and go to the left or right. A lot of folks are not even trying to resolve the tensions. They're just trying to explain them away. And when they do, they drive in the ditch. And then they yell at the people that are in the ditch on the other side of the road. <laughs> Legalists will yell over there at the liberals, you in the ditch. Well, you in the ditch too, buddy. And it, and it causes a lot of people not to even want to get in the car because both of us staying in the ditch too much. And, and here, here's this what I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm fixing to shut this down. I don't have to fully understand something to believe it. I don't have to fully understand something for, for, for me to trust it to get me where I want to go. Right? Y'all don't care about the physics of your car, did you? There ain't none of y'all going to go out there after church and pull no tape measure on your tires. Are you? You're going to hop in that joker and drive because somebody else done took care of that. They done got the right tension there for you. Here's what, listen, I know very little about electricity except that it bites you and you can't bite back. But this is one thing I know. You can't take a positive and a negative and stick them together without making fire. I've done it before. You got a positive and a negative, but, and I don't know, I don't understand this. But you got a positive and a negative, and you can feed them into the same motor. You can't touch them together, but you can feed them into something that's capable of carrying that and move you. Your house is full of stuff that's got a positive and a negative. You cooling in the summer and heating in the winter. You blow drying your hair in the mornings. There's a positive charge and a negative. Touch them together and watch the fire blow. Don't touch them together. <laughs> Listen, every man that's ever hooked up a set of jumper cables feels like he's got to do this. <laughs> if you want to be brave, just hang them together, buddy. Lock them up and see what happens. I'll, no, don't do that. Just run because the battery's fitting to show you what, what happens when you connect the positive and the negative. But I don't understand how you can feed that positive and negative and make your starter go, yang, 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 yang. cranks it up. 
and the Mickey's over there understanding electricity, and he's going to want to explain it to me after church, but I'm going to tell you, I ain't interested, Mickey. <laughs> I just ain't. I don't care. I just want it to go when, it, when I mash the gas, when I flip the switch. I don't have to understand it to believe that it works and to apply it. And there are a whole lot of things about this great big God that I serve that I can't comprehend or explain to you. But I believe him and trust him with all of my heart. That everything that he has done and is doing and everything that he has written is for my good and for his glory. And I'm good with that. So how you maintain your life? Let me give you three little principles very quickly. And I promise this is going to be quick. How do you maintain your life? How do you keep it between the ditches? Don't try to resolve all those Bible tensions. We ain't got to resolve them. We ain't got to reconcile them all. We got to trust them and live between them, but we don't have to resolve them all. You believe God's holy? I do. I also believe God's love. I ain't got to try to reconcile that. I believe both of those are true. I believe that's why I'm saved today. You believe God elected? Yeah, I do. Because the Bible says that he did. You believe you have a choice? I do. So is God sovereign? Yeah. Does man have free will? Yeah. I ain't got to reconcile that. I just believe that. In fact, I think that's the reason the Bible says sometimes the wisdom of God confounds the wisdom of men. Sometimes I think it's easier just to be like me, kind of ignorant, not real deep. Because I just hear it and believe it and move on. We don't have to resolve all the tensions. Trust them and live between them. Now, this is key. How do you do that? That verse I read to you a while ago about Peter saying some of the things that Paul wrote was hard to understand. Here's what he followed that with. In 2 Peter 3, 17, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things, know what things? Know that some of what Paul said was hard and that some people have twisted what Paul said and made it say something that it didn't really say and let them off into destruction. He said, So seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. You've got to be careful or you'll run yourself off into the ditch. And then that second that next verse, 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. So here's the second thing. That Jesus Christ has to be the center of your theology and the center of your life. Jesus Christ is the central figure of all of the Bible. Now you, there, you can say a lot of things I don't understand, but you've got to understand this. If your theology gets you away from Jesus, you're in the ditch. We've done run off into the ditch. Peter said, if you want to avoid that error of taking something that Paul said and making it say what he didn't say, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that I believe has to revolve around who he is, what he has done, 
and how that applies to my life, how I can live to glorify him. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. None of us going to get where we want to go without Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of our lives, period. We can talk about all these other things all day long, but if Jesus Christ ain't Lord and Savior of your life, you ain't going to get where you want to go. The last thing is this. The other thing I think we have to do is take God's word at its face value as literally as we possibly can. Go back to number one. You ain't got to resolve it. Just take it. I heard John MacArthur. I don't agree with everything John MacArthur says, but John MacArthur is a smart man who knows the Bible, and we, I, you, know, you might say you're ignorant to disagree with John MacArthur. <laughs> Maybe I am, but I don't think John MacArthur got God figured out either. But I heard John MacArthur preaching a passage of Scripture one time that I knew was difficult for him to preach because it, it kind of falls more in the theological camp that I find myself in. It was a passage that was talking about apostasy. John MacArthur said this. He told his congregation this. I'm going to preach this passage as strongly as I possibly can. And later on, I'm going to preach another passage of Scripture that's going to appear to contradict what I'm preaching to you today, and I'm going to preach it as strongly as I can. And I admire that, and I think that's what we all got to do to stay out of the ditch. Take the Word of God as literally as possible, and don't try to explain verses away that don't fit our theological understanding. I've been guilty of that. I want to quit that. I just want to say what the Bible says. It ain't my business to try to reconcile it. It's my business to say what God said. Because I believe it's for our good and his glory. Maybe God gave us those verses to keep us from driving off into the ditch. Maybe God gave us those verses to keep from leading other people to drive off into that ditch. The God-designed tension that exists in the Word is good for us. It keeps us out of the ditch. Let's stand together. Lord, I'm excited about this journey that's ahead of us. I'm excited about it because I think there are some areas that I can certainly grow. I'm quite sure there's some places in my life and in my understanding that I'm already in a ditch. Honestly, there's some topics in your word that I've just completely steered clear of because I don't understand them. So I'm excited about what lies ahead of us. I know sometimes the enemy uses these tensions just to distract us, to discourage us. We don't have to understand everything about who you are, everything about what you're doing. To know that you sent your only begotten Son to save us. Everything 
revolves around him. And I pray if there's somebody in this room that's maybe been maybe been holding back. I know I've talked to folks before who who, who won't come to Christ because they got too many questions. Well, I you know, my in my experience, coming to Christ doesn't resolve all the questions. Just taught me to trust, believe, and apply what I can. Leave the rest in your hands. I pray that you'd have your will and your way in this time of invitation. If there's somebody here lost, I pray today would be their day of salvation. Guide us on the study. Help me to go to the places that I need to go to and stay away from those that I don't. And through it all, help us just to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And of your word and your will for our lives. In his name we pray. Amen.